Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Doug, you hold a bachelor's degree in psychology from the Southern Methodist University in Dallas. I do. I was reading on Twitter this morning. (laughs) There was this tweet about someone saying that Texas loves being Texas, and in their <laughs> hotel room they had a waffle iron in the shape of Texas. They had those at my uni, actually. Yeah, I've, oh, eaten, really? I've eaten many Texas-shaped waffles. <laughs> this is an interview with Doug Morris from ShareSite Limited. ShareSite is an online portfolio management tool. It automatically synchronizes trading, dividends, and corporate actions in your portfolio. Accurate record keeping is an important part of owning a share portfolio. You can make up your own spreadsheet or just hand over a bunch of statements to your accountant. But there will come a time when you realise that tracking your portfolio can show you which investments are doing well and not so well, allowing you to consider adjustments that may increase returns. It was a gorgeous autumnal afternoon in Sydney when we chatted, so we left the doors open in the garden studio. My apologies for the birds and the occasional plane. And now here's Doug. We're, we're really kind of in uh, in the picks and shovels business of, of portfolio administration and record keeping. It doesn't sound very sexy, but there is a need for it. And really the background was a father and son team over in Wellington, New Zealand. And the father was an active trader, investor, uh, and the son was kind of an engineering type. And the dad was, you know, he's really trying to track everything on a spreadsheet and just became overwhelmed over time. And um, the son said, you know, I reckon I could build you something in the cloud to kind of to solve this problem. The, the son said to the, to, father. To the father. Yeah. yeah. Why was that? Well, basically the son, again, had this kind of engineering background. And I think they took a lot of inspiration from um, a company down the road called Zero, who you've probably heard of. And they were doing all kinds of robust accounting software, but cloud-based. And so Scott, our, who's our CTO today, really thought, hey, you know, I can, I can do this share management thing in the cloud as well. Yeah. So tell us about the interface. How does it look when you go into ShareSite? Sure. So it kind of depends. If you're coming to us for the first time, the, the main thing we want to do is we really want to help you get your investment information into the product. And kind of the irony is that it's hard to do sometimes, depending how complicated your records are, how many brokers you use, what does your spreadsheet look like, do you have a, a shoebox full of contract notes under the bed somewhere. You know, But we really want to provide you with tools to get all that data into the product. Um, so that's kind of the emphasis when you come on as a, as a new user. And then it's kind of like an airplane. Once you kind of go through the steps of sort of taking off and, and gaining altitude, once you're set up, we'll then automatically track the trades and the dividends and all that. So it's kind of like you're cruising along and, and it takes care of itself, really. And from that point forward, it really does become a performance tracking tool for most of the year. And, and with you know tax time, you know, people use it for different purposes at, say, 30 June or July as well. So, yeah. Okay. Well, look, let's uh, take it back to the beginning investor who sure. we're looking at here on this uh, podcast. Yeah. They've just bought their first tranche of shares. They've sure. bought, I don't know, 1,000 BHP shares. <laughs> what happens when they go to ShareSite? Uh, first of all, there's a free version that they can start with yep. to try it out, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So we, we operate a freemium model, and the free version is limited by number of portfolios and holdings you can have. We still make available a, a good number of the reports because we do want, say, new investors to, to genuinely use the product and get value out of it. 
So what you do in that case is if you bought those 1,000 BHP shares with your broker, you would uh, connect ShareSite to your broker. So we would then import your transactional history. So in this case, it's maybe one or two buy trades uh, to, to get to those 1,000 shares. And then from there, kind of the magic would happen where we then show you your cost base and your performance and your dividend income, and you can begin benchmarking and, and, and all of that. Sorry, can I just go back for a second? You don't, you don't actually need to enter the trade in by yourself. No, you don't. So most people opt to – actually, most people opt to kind of give it a bit of a play when they come on. So they say, oh, how does this work? Let me enter something manually. And they say, oh, now I can see what that does. Okay, let me clear that out, and then now let me do the, the kind of the full import so I can import straight from my broker. And, yeah, there's no manual intervention required whatsoever. So, yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. I, yeah. I'm, I'm amazed when I watch it, see how it works, and um, you make a trade, and then there it is. It's all imported Yeah, imported for you. Yeah. So, look, if we can have a look at your background, a little sure. bit about how you came to ShareSite. Yeah. So, you're obviously from the United States. So, you're yeah. from Chicago originally? I'm from Chicago originally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you went to university in Texas. I did. I kind of did the, the typical American thing where you want to kind of get out of mom and dad's house and go as far away as possible uh, and uh, experience something new. So, that's, that's how I wound up in Texas. And then I spent a, a year in Paris as a student, and then that kind of gave me the travel bug, I guess, and that's why I eventually ended up down in Sydney um, about 10 years ago. So yeah, I came, I came with Morningstar, uh, the investment research business, um, in kind of a sales and a, and a product development role. And that gave me a really good background in kind of all things investing from a real kind of academic standpoint. But so, I, so from someone who uh, doesn't know what Morningstar is, sure. can you explain sure, uh, yeah. about Morningstar? So Morningstar provides investment research and data. So basically, they're, they're a research firm. They're That's, a research house, yeah, yeah. fundamentally a research house. So they have analysts that are assessing stocks and ETFs and managed funds and giving a kind of a quantitative and a qualitative assessment of those investments. And then they sell that information via websites or in wholesale to banks and things like that. And it's, it's, they build a lot of their own technology as well, which is kind of how I got interested in the software space. Okay. So for, for someone who's just uh, starting out in the share business, they're, they're going to be um, seeing that there's research mm-hmm. and analysis. That, yeah. This is exactly what Morningstar does. Is that they right? Do, they do. And they do, they do a really good job in my biased opinion, but mm. uh, they're independent. So what, what happened um, back in the day and still to some degree today, research analysts would be biased in their assessments because they might be working for an investment bank that is involved in taking a company public or backing a company or something like that. Whereas the, the Morningstar business model is purely independent um, where they get subscribers based on the quality of that research. So in that, in that sense, um, they are independent, which is great for the investor. So if uh, someone was to find Morningstar research, for example, they would uh, you could vouch for the the, the, oh, um, uh, the unbiased nature of that. Indeed. Indeed, yeah. 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 So um, you did psychology at university. <laughs> I did. I did. I, uh, I, I was sort of, um, I don't know, it's kind of, a, again, kind of a, an American trope where you go off to uni and you kind of begin a, a liberal arts degree. Uh, it's just kind of what you do there. And in the States, what you major in at, at the uni level doesn't necessarily have a bearing on what you do professionally. Um, kind of the model there is work your ass off to get an internship, an unpaid internship, and then work your ass off there, and then hopefully you'll get a job uh, with that firm. And, and that's exactly what I did with, with Morningstar. Yeah, so. But uh, did you find psychology has helped you in terms of um, understanding the psychology of share trading? Um, I have, actually, yeah. It's been really useful um, in understanding kind of the biases and the traps we fall into as human beings. Um, and that's kind of carried over – 
not only to my own <laughs> investment portfolio, but also into kind of how we position ShareSite, the product as well. Because like I said, we, we give away uh, a valuable free service, but we also ask people to pay for the premium services as well. And so it's, it's always interesting to see kind of where um, where you can kind of analyze things from purely a quantitative standpoint or where you can see kind of human psychology playing into why people buy products and, and do what they do online, basically. Uh, so, so what have you seen in, the, in that uh, space? Well, I suppose um, certain things like, like like feature usage and things like that. I mean, the one that comes to mind clearly is is benchmarking. You know, because I I present benchmarking on ShareSite as something that it's not around how you're tracking against the index. Are you beating it or or not? It's more the way we position is like, that's that's what else you could have, could be doing with your money, and that's kind of with ETFs nowadays, especially you can basically buy the 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 benchmark for really cheap. So it's, can you explain what benchmarking is? Sure, the, the absolutely. New, yeah. yeah. So benchmarking is basically if you've got a portfolio of stocks or ETFs or managed funds, um, you're tracking the performance of those, hopefully using something like ShareSite. But it's useful to understand how you're tracking against the broader market index. So in most cases, when you turn on the news or you read the newspaper, you'll see how the S&P ASX 200 is tracking. And really, that's just a list of the top 200 stocks that trade on the ASX and how they're tracking an aggregate. I suppose it's a bit of a FOMO thing, right? You kind of want to understand, are you doing better or worse than the market at large? In many cases, uh, an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, is available to buy, which represents that entire list of 200 companies. And so so nowadays, investing, the benchmark is very much a, a, a buyable thing. Um, so it's interesting to compare that versus how you've gone uh, in terms of the selections you've made as an investor. That That's called uh, beta, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or beta, as you would say in the United yeah, States. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's uh, actually trying to do better than the benchmark, isn't it? Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure if you noticed today, I, I tweeted um, Robin Bauman from Vanguard Investments, who was our previous guest, uh, talking about franking credits and also tracking those franking credits. Traditionally, with franking credits, you just uh, get them at the, you get a report at the end of the financial year to tell you what. Um, how much your franking credits are going to be worth, but ShareSite have gone a, a, a great many steps further, haven't you? Mm. Yeah. So the funny thing about ETFs is that they were always well. Originally, they were sold uh, to institutional investors, big pension funds, and banks, and and, and things like that. And they were designed as an instrument um, for them to hedge risk in their portfolios. But then what happened? Because the the smart guys at places like Vanguard and and other ETF providers. They started marketing them to financial advisors and then kind of DIY investors because they trade on an exchange just like a stock, but they represent so much more. They represent an entire index like the the ASX 200. They represent um, a global index like the MSCI kind of world, or they represent really specific sectors. So you can buy um, ETFs that track, say, a particular commodity or mineral, or even a, an ETF that tracks um, cryptocurrencies. <laughs> so, uh, whereas good, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're not legal in all jurisdictions. I should probably, I should yeah, probably yeah, say yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whereas ETF used to represent kind of safe beta index play, it now it's like, yeah, but what kind of ETF? You have to be real specific around kind of which ones you purchase, and. So what, what's happened is they've become really popular amongst investors. In fact, if you look at portfolios on ShareSite, of the SMSF uh, trustees tracking their portfolios on ShareSite, I think a, a 20% of them now own an ETF. 
which is really telling because a few years back it was a it was a low single digit figure uh, to be sure. So they've they've really gained mass adoption and the the challenge though which and it's a particular challenge for Australian investors is that they're treated as a trust. And so a trust is like a a managed fund as well. It's a unit trust and those uh tend to create all kinds of complicated distributions and you need to be careful as to how you track that when it comes time to to lodge your tax really um and so franking credits are actually being paid to you vis-a-vis an etf but so are all kinds of other uh, components of distributions as well i mean even if you buy an etf that tracks the again the asx 200 there's all kinds of other small little investments that are inside that etf um say like a term deposit from the u.s like a u.s government bond or overseas shares in some cases, local fixed income. And all this stuff is paying you um, these small dividends that add up that you do need to track and then report to the ATO, really. And that's that's what we try to help investors with, really. So this is tr- during the course of the financial year because this, uh, this all this information is summarized in the annual report from the ETF, isn't it? It is, yeah. So what happens is you'll get, say, two or four distributions throughout the course of the financial year. And then there's this kind of mad scramble after 30 June inside the the providers of the ETFs to kind of work out, okay, now we're going to go back and we're going to apportion all these little components back to the distributions of the ETFs. Which have got all sorts of different tax treatments. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, and that factors in, you know, the other variables there are, are you reinvesting your dividends? When did you buy this ETF? When did you sell this ETF? Because every distribution is actually different throughout the course of the year. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, and so then you get this pretty gnarly statement from the share registry at the end of the year saying – we'll, we'll keep that in mind, the gnarly statement. <laughs> yeah. So kind of documenting all these distributions that you've actually received as the owner of this unit trust. And that's where it's like, geez, how do I – how am I supposed to lodge this? It's way more complicated than your average you know, Telstra dividend with, with some franking credits, for example. Hey there. Investing in shares can be fun. But the paperwork isn't. Throw away those clunky spreadsheets with ShareSight, the online portfolio tracking tool that automatically records trades, dividends, ETF distributions, and gives you reports that will satisfy even the pernickety-est accountant. I have my portfolio on ShareSight, and whenever I buy or sell, it's automatically recorded. I can see the dividends I'm receiving and the franking credits. It helps me to work out allocation to make sure I'm diversified. ShareSite are pleased to announce a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Two months free on an annual premium plan. Try the starter, investor or expert plan. There's a seven-day free trial where you can experience the full power of ShareSite portfolio management. And it's not just for Australia. I know some of you are listening in countries not lucky enough to be down under. ShareSite supports 30 of the world's great exchanges. Go to ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of two free months. That's ShareSite.com forward slash shares for beginners. Remember, a happy accountant is an accountant that's not unhappy. Tell us about robo-advisors. Sure. So, yeah, robo-advice 
it's it's an interesting space. They are online um, investment advisors where you you sign up and you basically go through a questionnaire, which is known as a, as a risk tolerance questionnaire. Ask you things like, what's your kind of intended duration of investment? How how much risk you want to take on? How much you're going to invest? Things like that. And then they'll work out based on all kinds of academic research, kind of a, a portfolio of mostly ETFs. So anywhere from four to five to eight ETFs broken down in percentages to try to help you meet your goals. Um, I think it's great. I, I, I think it's great because it's getting more and more people into investing. And in my opinion, it, it provides a better alternative to just stashing your money in a, in a term deposit or a cash account or something like that. And I think it, the robo-advice industry tends to be populated by people who kind of saw what was wrong with the financial advice industry, and they said, you know, we can do this better and, and in a more cost-effective way for more people. So it's, it's a really cool thing, and, and um, you know, we're part of that in terms of our, our technology power, some of those partners. And uh, just, just, yeah, just getting more people into investing is a really exciting thing. So you actually have human uh, financial planners that use ShareSight as well. We do. On behalf of their clients. We do, yeah. And yeah. those tend to be kind of um, toward the higher end, so kind of your, your IFA or family office type financial advisors. Um, they'll what's, kind what's an IFA? An uh, independent financial advisor, right. which yeah. after the Royal Commission, you'll see a lot more of these independent financial advisors as the banks kind of wind up their dealer group and, uh, and platform businesses, really. And they use ShareSight. What they often do is they'll, they'll kind of have an in-house uh, model portfolio and they'll put all their clients into that model as well. And that's really well suited for, for ShareSite. You uh, write a blog on the ShareSite site as well. Now, I just wanted to quote some of them to you and ask you questions about them. Individuals must take ownership of their own investments. The old system is no longer working for us. Why? Well, you know, I think financial services have traditionally been sold aggressively rather than bought, right? It's a funny thing. It's It's like... It's, it's one of the unique industries where, as consumers, we're seeking out better alternatives to taxis with things like Uber. Uh, think of any of the apps on your phone. You've sought those out to kind of improve your life. But financial services have been slow to that party, right? There's still something that's marketed as very complex, and you need to do this, and it's kind of lots of fear-mongering. And it really is not that hard, and it, 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 it should be embraced by more people. And so I just think that the technology now exists, be it easy to use, low cost online brokers, be it products like ShareSite, be it products like, like robo advice providers, that the stuff is out there if you go looking. And so it really is, if you do take control and you educate yourself, uh, you can become a successful investor. In fact, you know, the staff at ShareSite, a lot of the people we hire have no investment background whatsoever. They're software people or they're digital marketers or, or things like that. But they kind of get into investing because that's what we do. And they're like, I can't believe how screwed up the whole industry is. It's, it's, I can see it now kind of for what it is, and, and it, it doesn't have to be that hard, and I feel a lot more confident to take control of my, my financial affairs. That's interesting that you say that, that um, in the past it's been an industry that has tried to sell to you rather than something that you seek out mm. on your own behalf. Yeah. I mean, this is part of the thinking behind shares for beginners, that even if people don't want to invest directly in the share market, they've got to actually know the right questions to ask yeah, as well. Indeed. And it's particularly a problem in Australia because of superannuation. Superannuation, in my opinion, is, is a wonderful system. Um, if you look at the comparable system in the States, you know, where I'm from, the 401k model, it's the same thing, but it's not compulsory. 
And so it requires even more education to get people interested in, hey, you should be saving. And if you're saving, you should be putting your money to work for you. But super just does that because you have to. Automatically, yeah. Right. That's all there. But the downside of that is that it creates this gravy train for fund managers and financial advisors, right? So where you, if you have to contribute, they don't need to work that hard to get those inflows, um, which is why education in Australia is particularly important. Yeah, I think it's, it's true what you say. It's such a gravy train, the superannuation system. Yeah, people don't understand how many little taps there are, siphoning off money here and there out of their superannuation all the time. All the time. Yeah, yeah, in fact, I was just doing some work for my, um, my taxes back in the States, and I logged to an old super account that I have a little bit of money in still. And, and I was surprised. I mean, you log in, and there's an advisor's name next to my account, you know, Joe Smith, and here's his address and his, his mobile number. That guy's taking my super money in the form of fees that are being taken out of my account every month. It's crazy. I've never met that guy. Never talked to him. He's never done anything for me. You know, so um, you really do need to to understand this stuff. And if you do, you can actually um, uh, produce a better return for yourself in the long run. The only sure thing investing is the price you pay to access those investments. So. So how does one keep from losing cool while the financial markets seem to be going rabid? Easy. Understanding how your portfolio has been performing overall, not just in the last month, is the best antidote to help you remain calm and make the best decisions. How does this work? Yeah, so I think um, understanding whether it's a rising market, like a bull market, um, or it's a falling market, the first step in that is to understand how you're performing. And what we do at ShareSite is we use a technique called annualized returns, And what that does is it breaks down your total return into annual chunks. And that's respective to how much money you're putting in or taking out of your portfolio too. And the reason that we like that approach is that it's more translatable to other areas of your life, right? You pay, you get an annual salary, you pay annual school fees, you pay your mortgage. You know, we think in annualized terms. And so if you then think about your portfolio return or loss in that same context, it can help you understand how well or how poorly you're actually doing, and then make a, a more rational decision, hopefully. And you know, it can also be that a falling market or a kind of an unsteady market can present um, buying opportunities as well. So if you are using something like ShareSite, you understand exactly what you paid for your investment. So you understand, hey, I can pick up a company that I really like at a discount um, to what I think it's worth or what someone is telling me it's worth. So understanding where those buying opportunities are is really important as well. I think that uh, leads me straight on to the next question, which is about annualized total performance. Keeping track of your annualized total performance is essential as it helps you to understand how your investments are doing, thus helping you to make informed rather than impulsive decisions. Yeah. Tell me about impulsive decisions. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we've all done them uh, as investors for sure. It's really important to understand, to normalize how you're looking at all your investments because if you have a, a stock portfolio, you're probably going to have representation from different sectors of the market, different industries, perhaps even different countries. And so if you annualize and you look at a similar methodology across all your investments, it really is kind of putting them on a, on a level playing field to where you can make a, hopefully, a rational decision about what to buy and what to sell. So this is in the reporting tools? This is in the reporting, yeah. So everything you look at in ShareSite is, is annualized, yeah. And also, I, I, would, I would also caution investors that if it's a fund manager or some financial product out there that you're seeing... Um, on a commercial or in an ad in the Fin Review or something like that, 
they often quote total returns or total lifetime returns. And it's like, well, what does that mean? What is what is, is that like they said, oh, well, if you'd invested $10,000 in exactly uh, 2010, it's now worth $30,000. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And lifetime, I mean, some of these funds go back 20 or 30 years. So a thousand percent over 30 years may not be that good, actually, once you annualize that performance. So, so annualizing is like a benchmark, is it? Uh, in a way, it's kind of treating each um, year, each unit of time uh, the same way across your investment. So it'll, it'll kind of tamp down those really good years and it'll mitigate some of those really bad years and kind of help you understand it on a more human level. What is the one question or what is a question that you would uh, be asking a wealth manager or financial planner to ascertain whether they're going to be working on your behalf rather than their own behalf? Yeah, it's a great question. And my wife and I have actually just gone through this recently. We're sort of mid to late 30s, a couple of young kids. We're both work full time. So, you know, even, you know, I, I need help kind of staying organized with this stuff too. The number one question that I would ask my financial advisor is, explain to me all the ways you get paid from my money. So if I give you $10,000, what are you taking and how do you get paid? Do you get paid on a flat annual basis? Do you get paid based on an asset-based fee that you're taking out of my portfolio? Do you get paid by recommending me products or mortgages or other services like that or trying to get me into you know your tax department or things like that? There's all different kind of um, – compositions of, of the way that these guys get paid. And having a real clear understanding of that is a great first step. And what's the answer that you're actually looking for? Well, in my opinion, you want to look for a flat annual fee, so a fee for service, as it's known, which um, basically means you're going to pay your advisor the same fee regardless of uh, the performance of the portfolio. So you're guarding against them taking more of your money as your asset base grows basically. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reading this week about there's new ETF that's coming out that doesn't even charge any fees unless they outperform the benchmark. That's Yeah. So uh, Fidelity and I think maybe Schwab and Vanguard in the States have launched these free ETFs as well. And that could be a real game changer because they might just flood the market with these things. And they look at these as a loss leader. It's It really is a digital marketing exercise. They want to get people to their website, get them signed up for these products, and then they can sell them other uh, more costly services as their financial needs get more complex. There's more advanced features in ShareSite. I've noticed the share checker function. So that means you can go and click on it and then input a share and see a lot of information about that particular stock. Can you tell, tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so the share checker, it's an old feature that we actually resurrected not that long ago. That basically, it's a what-if tool. It allows you to hypothetically invest $10,000 in a stock. So you can set say, okay, 10 years ago, $10,000 invested in Google shares would have netted me what return. And so it's a really handy way to kind of do a bit of scenario analysis there and to kind of check current prices and current stats about a particular company. Yeah. Okay. Now we're coming to the listener question. And uh, this question is from Jack Cuomo from Mount Annan. Why would I need to have a portfolio tracker like ShareSite? When I have a financial planner or wealth manager, oh well, would you it, would you have, have both? Oh, absolutely, have both. Yeah. So, if you have a financial planner whom you trust and you you, you like their service, I would definitely recommend using ShareSite in parallel to ensure that one, what they're telling you is accurate and true, but also again, so you can get that kind of annualized human kind of return calculation. And it's also probably true that 
the financial advisor is not looking after the entire wealth picture for an individual. It may be that he or she is tracking sort of a discretionary portfolio, but you have assets that live elsewhere from your partner or whatever. So ShareSite can provide a way for you to kind of wrap all that into one place. And then also you can share access with the advisor as well. So it's a bit of a kind of a checks and balances thing there. Yeah. And, and uh, hopefully the advisor would be using ShareSite as that's well right. to track, the, yeah. In fact, track that's, the investments. That's often how we get a lot of our professional business. We'll have a self-directed investor who uses an advisor in some capacity, shares access, and they're like, hey, what the heck is this thing? So, um, yeah, brokers, are they using this as well? They are. So we have a number of relationships with uh, mainly online brokers because the broker is really good at providing you with research and real-time data and charting tools, and, and really their goal is to get you to trade. Uh, and they don't really want to muck around with the administration or the tax side of, of portfolios. And that's where what we try to do is have a, a relationship with a broker where they can refer people to ShareSite, hopefully with that connection in place to where it's a couple of clicks and all your trading history comes through and you're all set up. What's the one thing you advise the first-time investor to do? Yeah. So the first thing that I would do is I would find a company that has some meaning to you, right? So it's a product or a service or a, or a business that you are familiar with. You know, you, you've, you've used their services. You've got a connection to them in some way, shape, or form. So find out if they're a listed company, <laughs> number one. And I'd go to the company website, and I would go to their investor relations section, and I would download their latest annual report. And that'll give you all kinds of information around their financial performance. So are their sales growing? Are they profitable? And also, you know, companies love talking about themselves. I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. So you'll find all kinds of editorial commentary around how they're assessing their own performance, what's what's you know in store for the future for that company and so forth. So do your homework. But it always I think it's just better if you do it on a company you're familiar with. It just makes that first time investment investing experience much better. I mean, my first investment uh, was actually in high school during a stock market uh, competition. It was Disney. And I understood their business, you know, being a kid, basically. <laughs> um, and then I, the, it was it was a no brainer, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the other thing I would do too is understand the price history. It's it's really basic, but I would I would I would look up the price on ShareSite or or Yahoo Finance or anywhere you, you want to find out what that price is today. So if it's ten bucks today, you kind of want to zoom out and you want to know all right, what was that price a month ago? What was it six months ago? What was it five years ago? What happened during the GFC? Just just zoom way out and give yourself a really nice wide price chart just to understand: Are you buying at the most expensive the company's ever been? You may want to rethink that. Are you buying at the cheapest a company's ever been? You, you may want to go ahead and, and buy. So just understand kind of where today's price is in relation to its history. MSCI, what does that stand for and what is it? Yeah, sure. So MSCI, or known sometimes as MISCI, stands for Morgan Stanley Capital International. And it's basically an index product that a bunch of really smart people put together to track the global stock markets sort of as one around the world. And you can buy an ETF in that? Is that the case? Yeah, you definitely. So so uh, there would be many ETFs that are linked to MISCI indices. And so you might see MISCI Total World, which is kind of the global index, or MISCI China, which is a particular index that, that tracks China. How many stocks would be in something that like, like that? Oh, thousands. Yeah, yeah but you're covering the whole world, every, yes. every share Indeed. market in the world. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, uh, you mentioned value investing. What's, what's a description of value investing? Sure. So value investing is basically a way of looking at a company 
that so it's a high quality company that might be trading at a, at a discount to what it's actually worth. There are a number of ways of assessing uh, what a company is actually worth. Uh, you could do things like uh, book value or fair value or things like that. But basically, uh, legendary investors like Warren Buffett have have made a habit of doing this. Uh, if you see a really high quality company that for whatever reason is trading at a discount to its actual price, that's called value investing because you're getting a really good, great value buy. Uh, but there's many ways of ascertaining what there, that there value really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can't, really is. you can't just say, oh, well, it's cheap, so um, I'm going to buy it. It looks good value at this price. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to do it in all market conditions. I mean, the bull market we've had in the last several years really did not present any value opportunities for people. Uh, so a lot of these value investors would be sitting on the sidelines in markets like that. Yeah, you've really got to t- uh, wait, have cash available for that time when everyone is selling. There's total panic, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which is very hard to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, a satellite play, you were mentioning a satellite play. So I think you were talking about you have your core investments and then um, there's other little things that you're going to be playing with. Yeah. So, the satellites. So, think, so the way that I run my, uh, my portfolio is, is what's known as core satellite. So I've got a core group of investments that are, in my case, oh, I'd say about two thirds ETFs and another third kind of really what I would consider blue chip shares. Um, and I don't really touch those. I top up if I can, if the market presents an opportunity, but I or I keep contributing in the case of superannuation to those that core uh, group of investments. And then um, the satellites are things that are worth um, less to the overall portfolio and present more risk. And they just I like them because they're it's a way to take on some risk, which which you know we all like doing as investors, and also kind of learning things about new sectors or companies that you might not know. Uh, and so that's kind of what core satellite investing is. You think of kind of the core, kind of the the planet with the, the kind of satellites rotating around it. Okay, and you mentioned GICS before, G-I-C-S? Yeah. So GICS is, a, is an acronym you might hear um, in kind of the advisor, maybe even the kind of the, the, the institutional communities. It's, it's an acronym that stands for Global Investment Classification System. And really, it's a kind of a common way that people all around the world think about what sort of categories their investments belong to because investing is, is is interesting because you know people tend to have what's known as home country bias so if you're living in australia you might be very comfortable investing in australian shares for example um, and you might just think of those as asx or australian shares but another way of thinking about that is if you apply a gix framework over that you can then classify the stocks on the asx is amongst their global counterparts so that's, for example, uh, the there'll be a sector known as the financial. It's financial services. Financial, financial services, yeah. Financial services, and that's where our banks will go in. Exactly. That you can then compare them to right banks anywhere in the world. So if you own, say, some U.S. banks or European banks, and you owned CBA, if you were using that classification in ShareSite, you would then see all those banks grouped together. Okay. You also mentioned CFDs, contract for difference. Yeah, contracts for difference. Um, so as I said, we don't support those at ShareSite currently, but they are um, a popular product that the online brokers make available here and in the UK. They're actually not uh, allowed in the US uh, per the rules of the SEC. Uh, yeah, they provide just a way for more active traders, known as day traders, to take short-term leveraged risks on day-to-day price fluctuations on companies. Something like uh, warrants as well. Indeed, yeah, or, or options. And, and I would say... In the context for beginners, I would 
my encouragement would be to stay away from those and just kind of stick to the vanilla listed stuff, uh, like company shares or ETFs. Okay, that's great. Thanks very much. Hope that was useful. Oh, that's fantastic. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice, and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.